Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Derhage. It's Roxanne Durhage. I'm a mental health and wellness specialist and a corporate leadership executive coach. My new book, Return on Relationships, launching on June 10th, 2023, introduces the concept of return on relationships, a new metric for business growth. Grab a copy. Let me walk you through how to be a better leader and provide you with exclusive tools to guide you in building your authentic leadership legacy. You can find link in the show notes to pre-order your copy today. Hope you enjoy. Hi everyone, it's Roxanne Durhach. Thanks for tuning in again to the, today to Authentic Living with Roxanne. Today I have a, a colleague that I think I've just recently met. We've been spending a lot of time together, Sabrina Shaver. Uh, Sabrina uh, has a quite a fascinating background uh, that intrigued me. Uh, and uh, we recently did an event uh, for International Women's Day with uh, women uh, younger, uh, women, I would say, mostly across size and sectors of companies that were talking about work-life balance, which was actually quite amazing. So her background is she's not only a corporate litigator, but she's a behavior, she studied behavioral analysis. And I'm going to be intrigued by that story about what kind of got her into doing what she does. And, and she works with teams. She's uh, working to figure out what's most autonomous ways that teams can work together and she's predominantly in the tech sector. So Sabrina, thanks so much for taking the time to spend with us today. Oh, Roxanne, you are wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Like you said, we've been doing a couple different speaking engagements together lately, and each topic is more riveting than the next. This is something that couldn't be more relevant right now. It's a passion of both of ours. So I'm excited to dive in. It'll be fun. So tell me, tell me a little bit about you, like, uh, and, and what, I mean, law, you, you know, nothing against uh, lawyers. I've worked a lot with a lot of them. But, uh, tell me about what, what was your family into the legal profession? How did you kind of decide to, and of all things litigation, how did you end up there? Right. Not even close. Um, so, you know, kind of truncating the whole story. Um, I'm an immigrant. So I was born and raised in Germany, moved here in elementary school, had the weird accent and crooked bangs, the whole bit, you know, the lederhosen and everything. And, um, you know, I think part of that instilled such an enormous pride, um, nationality and work ethic and loyalty to those around me. I also had to learn how to build extended families immediately because all of my family was in Germany and we were in the US. And so I immediately had to kind of learn how do I make my second grade teacher my aunt and my mentor becomes like the grandma figure. And so I started learning that I, you know, could pull people into my life and they could they could fill these roles that maybe weren't as traditional um, and how they got there, but maybe would be able to teach me skills and feed into me in ways that I didn't necessarily have in, you know, kind of my situation. 
And that has, you know, that has been my number one secret to success. <laughs> I'll start right there. It has nothing to do with me. It's 100% the people I surround myself with, you included, by the way. So, um, you know, I, I dug into school. I love school. I was the kid who would make my own homework when we didn't have homework. And <laughs> I had like an overhead projector as a toy. I was just that kid. I did summer school for fun. So anyway, so I ended up skipping when I was in sixth grade, they wanted to put me in high school. My parents thought that might be a little bit too much, kind of too anyway. So I ended up skipping seventh grade and then I did end up skipping another grade once I went to high school. So starting college very early, I had to figure out how am I going to pay for it? Because there's no trust fund. There's my parents didn't even know what an application to college was. They just the expectation is you're going to college, you'll get straight A's and figure it out, kid. So I get my driver's license, I start college, and I'm like, well, I gotta pay for it. So I started a company um, all in the same year. 16 was a big year for me. And um, I started working with children, primarily on the autism spectrum, but with more of a behavioral component, and then just became obsessed, just absolutely obsessed. Neuroscience, behavioral science, psychology as a whole interests me, and I think a lot of ways um, has impacted the rest of my career. So I was very, you know, I, I ended up, you know, kind of transforming that again, secret to my success. I was 16. Who's going to listen to a 16 year old punk? But I ended up surrounding myself with brilliant people with their master's degrees and plus and all these kinds of things and created almost some very similarly modeled after the cancer treatment of of America. And so I had a little bit of speech, a little bit of occupational therapy, a little bit of applied behavioral analysis, a little bit of verbal behavior. So I had all these different, you know, experts around me and was obsessed with learning and, and the clinic ended up being incredibly successful. Um, and then I went on to law school and decided um, it would be fun to <laughs> litigate. I don't know why, I have no idea. And turns out it was, it was a blast. Um, but I was working with and representing different tech companies. And one of the companies we'd been incredibly successful with some you know, work we had been doing. And they said, would you ever come to the sales leadership side? And quarter after quarter passed. And I'm like, no, no, I'm an attorney. No, no, I'm an attorney. And then finally they said, okay, you write your contract. And so I did, and I wrote a great contract and they, they signed it. And the rest was history. And um, I joke mostly because it's completely true these three careers are exactly the same. It's just a different name. It's understanding people. It's understanding what motivates people and how to get them doing more of what you want them to do, less of what you don't want them to do and working together better and faster than they have been before. That's it in a nutshell. I'm curious, right? Because you talk working a lot of, with autism and you know we talk so much with neurodiversity. In that role, what did you learn about neurodiverse? Um, like you said, people are people and we all want to do really, really well that potentially you kind of cross-pollinated with what you do today. Well, so much now in the tech industry, and we have a very, very neurodiverse team, um, you know, at Continuum. Um, one of the things I instantly learned, because I worked with a fair amount of nonverbal people, which is very different than they don't have thoughts and feelings and opinions. They just sometimes people with apraxia, for instance, their brain wasn't communicating with their mouth and they could have full on sentences. I mean, some of these people have even gone on to write books and beautiful poetry and all these things. They just can't verbalize what's going on in their brain. And so 
What I instantly found is that verbal communication is not the only way we communicate. And then um, once I was able to tap into that, I think that was the secret to my success back then, um, was I could almost anticipate when, when a child was gonna do something because I knew their behavior so well. Now, granted, my job was to analyze behavior. <laughs> so I got kind of good at that. But, you know, and then understanding what motivates people. Again, a lot of this nonverbal language um, and components to human behavior that are incredible indicators. And still one of my favorite things to this day, it's called the behavioral panel on YouTube. They analyze different inter interviews just based on their behavior and, you know, blink rates and, you know, if they touch parts of their face and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it, it taught me really about the power of nonverbal communication and being able to read and anticipate those um, and how you use that to create bonds and relationships, again, without using a word. You know, and a lot of times I work with minority students who maybe didn't necessarily speak English and I was helping them learn English and the social cues and all that kind of stuff. And to be able to connect with somebody when you don't speak the same language is such a beautiful thing that you realize how little we need language for that human element to still show up. Absolutely, and I would think in the tech sector, and I mean, obviously you can, you can share with me, right? Um, a lot of people on the spectrum potentially have uh, phenomenal qualities that, you know, say somebody that was not neurodiverse couldn't, you know, uh, focus at that intently. I have a, a, one of my best friends, her son is autistic. And so, of course, we've been friends for 30 years and, um, you know, didn't know. And then she went through the whole, you know, grieving process or whatever. But as this young man has grown, um, the intricate, you know, um, there's a, I think it was called connects or whatever. And we would buy him things and leave the room and we would come back and within minutes, he would have these phenomenal things built. And we would be like, how, how is that possible? Yeah. So it's interesting, especially with the, with the sector that you are, are in that, that you, you must get a broad spectrum, not just about, like you said, diversity, um, with people not speaking English, but just people with phenomenal qualities um, that to the quote unquote average person, they would be like, oh, they're different or they're, they're difficult to deal with or, um, you know, they're not able to anticipate or whatever. So when you're, when you're dealing with teams, let's talk a little bit about that because my, you know, in my world, obviously um, in, in my uh, career as a psychotherapist, uh, you know, I would often say that, you know, just, I prefer if I'm used to be in my earlier years getting a new client to give me give me the video of them, um, and I would turn off the, the sound because that would help me really really get get a sense of um, that person because ninety five percent of our behavior is um, unconscious anyway. How about that? Wow! Right? Wow! Um, versus kind of getting the you know the yay high files. Right. That if you were to read everything about it, oftentimes people are pigeonholed or, you know, difficult or a diagnosis um, that really takes away from you getting to the to know the core person, which is what I, I love that you're saying that you um, got to know, right, with, oh, yeah. with your path. Yeah. And it was, I mean, some of my best moments I had uh, before I really got, you know, before my career in IT really took off. Um, I had an extremely near-death experience. I was I was so certain I was dying. I'm crying to the EMT. Please don't let me die. And I kind of had this moment of, you know what? If this is it, 
I'm really proud of what I did. And the thing that stuck out to me the most is my work with people, with neurodiverse people. And mm. because it, 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 there's such a sense of fulfillment and the human element becomes so apparent in ways that we don't really expect. To your point, you know, a, a vast majority of, of the smartest people in our world, including you know, a lot presume or assume that, you know, Albert Einstein, Thomas Edison, you know, even Thomas Jefferson, ironically also, or interestingly, also the, one of the first people to get the MMR. But in any event, um, you know, some of the smartest people in our world that have made massive contributions to society, including some leaders that we could think of now, are somewhere on that spectrum or, or neurodiverse. You know, I work a lot with human trafficking survivors and I just did a piece uh, with an amazing CEO about how they are they are so uniquely equipped because of their PTSD to um, be exceptional at cybersecurity and understanding cybersecurity attacks and things like that because they're so attuned to detail and they see things and they're, they're good at watching just minor changes that could be a threat. And so it, it's things like this where we don't, realize the benefit until you kind of step back and go, oh, wait a minute. The same is for engineering. The same is for building teams. Not everybody can be the connector or the funny one or the whatever, you know, the one who remembers that your daughter's birthday was on Tuesday. You need those people in your team too, but then you need everybody else. You know, it's like any other community. You need folks who carry multiple, you know, different roles. And um, that's what I, you know, that's what I see the neurodiverse community doing. And what's awesome, my, I mean, I think for both of us and, and our teams and, and friends is it's so much more accepted now. It's not perfect by any stretch, but it's starting, especially in IT, which, you know, now I'm so close to, so I can't speak for every industry, but particularly in IT um, and in engineering, especially, it's almost like a badge of honor. And it's, I couldn't be happier to see that evolve, you know? And how have you found that the evolution now that, I mean, you know, I've had multiple podcasts on people with neurodiversity and, you know, um, talking about it so that people can understand it. I think, you know, in corporate, you know, 20, 25 years ago, it was like that if there was accommodations, I, I definitely didn't know about it. Right. Or even in schools when I taught um, university and college, just at the tail end of it, when I, you know, was teaching, they've started to kind of, you know, talk more about accommodation and short-term kind of um, concerns and how they could assist with people. Now it's completely different. So in IT, how has that flourished the industry? Like, I'm just thinking about, you know, specific, like you talked a little bit about somebody being able to read micro elements uh, to be able to decipher, um, if there's an abnormality in behavior to, around trafficking. Um, so what kind of things, what, what kind of advancements have you seen in the tech industry to allow people that are neurodiverse to be considered maybe at times with say, maybe 10 years ago, they might not have been. You know, I'm not, I'm not close enough. I would love to get, you know, like a panel of neurodiverse people and say, okay, tell tell me the truth. But in my extremely limited experience and um, just, just extremely limited. You know, we work with several organizations. Dell is a great example where they pull their teams. They have things like uh, employee resource groups and things like that. 
And they leverage some of their technology to be able to say, hey, you know what? This person is always turning the volume up really high. We should check on them and make sure they don't need these kinds of assistive technology tools or things like that. But again, just in the, the limited conversations that I've had in my limited experience, I don't know if we're quite where we should be when it comes to corporate America embracing it. I see it as the people of corporate America embracing and and just embracing is not the word and enjoying i mean really you know including um mm -hmm. neurodiverse people but i don't see corporate america stepping up the way that i would love to see now again i couldn't be more biased i think it is like i said we have people on the spectrum on our staff um we have some of those brilliant engineers that identify as you know maybe on the spectrum or have been diagnosed with different things and um, like I said, I, 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 there's there's very few people who are more brilliant than them and more technical than them. Mm -hmm. And so I think the people in the IT industry see the value. I don't know yet. I, in my experience, I don't think corporate America has stepped up yet. And there's some pretty pretty significant things we could be doing. It we're just we're just now starting to kind of talk about mental health, but not really. Um, we're just kind of now talking about, you know, um, oh, I have these traits too and things like that, but it's, I haven't seen a big movement, a big step out, even in marketing. We don't mm -hmm. even see people with physical disabilities that much in like advertisements or anything like that, at least in the IT industry. I'm just now starting to see women with headscarves, so religious diversity in marketing, and even that's fairly limited. Um, so I think we have a massive, massive way to go um, from the largest of the large to the smallest of the small organizations in the industry. I just, um, I think there's a lot left to do there. So it's a beginning point, at least we're now aware. And we yeah. know that we should be um, more cognizant when um, you have uh, differences on your team. So you start, you swing from being a litigator <laughs> um, into sales and so tell me, tell me, did what was your role and, and how did that get you into, was it sales teams or what was your role when you started in the tech sector? Yeah, yeah, it's, um, you know, I'll tell you the, the takeaway is it takes one person to believe in you. It just takes one person. So if there's someone that you see that you go, you know what, I think they've got it, just do it, just believe in them, go push them a little bit further. There was one person, he knows who he is. His child was actually, you know, he um, was in one of my clinics. He worked with a lot of the therapists that, you know, I worked with um, and he had known my work ethic back then. And then obviously during law school and, you know, we have known each other as I became a litigator and um, he just saw something in me. And uh, he said, you know, would you, would you consider, would you consider? And he kept hounding me for several quarters. And I said, no, no, I, I don't know anything about sales. I don't know anything about tech and I don't know anything about leadership. And I'd never really seen myself, you know, with the first company, I never saw myself as a leader because I was significantly young, decades younger than anybody who had worked for me. I was just the conduit who was like, hey, we should all get together and help some kids, you know? I didn't see myself as that, but he saw it. He saw how I could orchestrate and how hard I worked. and how there is nothing more important to me than the outcome of the people I'm serving. It's it's truly an obsession it, it and not always in the best way. So don't follow my example, but he saw that. And so 
you know, he, um, he handheld a lot of handholding. So I came in as a sales director for a region for West Coast sales. And I had, I don't know, maybe 10 or 12. I can't remember exactly. I had, I had a fairly small team and um, it went like gangbusters. I mean, we nearly doubled the size of the business in two and a half years. We were doing millions and millions of dollars. When I first started, they were about a 25 year old company, 20 something year old company. They were doing about 10 million in business. When I left about two and a half years later, they were about $24 million. I mean, we were just knocking it out of the park. Um, and it was the same skill I just told you about. I, I think you have to be comfortable with not being the smartest person in the room. And then if you can really turn it on, um, be excited about not being the most knowledgeable person in the room. And I have always, my greatest talent is just surrounding myself with such brilliant people and listening and asking questions and being very honest when I don't understand things because it happens a lot and, and trusting them. But then building this network and this trust of communication to say, oh, I get what you're saying, Melissa or John or whatever, you know, but I think we need to tweak it this way. So having that open communication, um, I think there's a difference between surrounding yourself with really smart people and letting them take the helm versus working collectively and collaboratively as a team and getting the best out of each person without exhausting them. And so um, so it started with that. By the time I left, I was running you know, global sales and all kinds of different things. We were running global road shows and all kinds of fun stuff. Um, and then the rest was history. The, the rest was history. And now, you know, like you mentioned earlier, I'm the CEO of the company and, you know, running multi-million dollar engagements. And it's just been such a wild ride. Um, and it all kind of started with this one person who said, you got it, you got it, kid. I see something in you. And um, me going, all right, if you see it, I'll trust you. I'll try my hardest, but I don't know. And I had so many safety nets when I initially took the role, um, you know, because I was so scared and, and he was so willing to give me those safety nets um, in order for me to feel that security. So I can't take a lot of credit for it. Again, it, it pretty much my life comes back to surround yourself with brilliant people, good hearted, smart, hardworking people. The rest kind of takes care of itself. So he saw that, but you were scared, but you still took the step. <laughs> and like, I mean, that's, you know, it's kind of like, you know, we talk a little, you know, you hear everybody talking about imposter syndrome. You're like, yes, clearly you have trans, a lot of transferable skills, right? Like you, you know, having worked, um, you know, with diversity uh, in, in uh, learning or different kind of platforms, then of course you're going into litigation where you're having to understand, read, um, figure out what's in, what's in the courtroom, how you're kind of shuttling lots of different nuances, I think. The, of subsets of skills that you eventually come to. And then, you know, someone obviously seeing the, the capacity that you have um, to be, I, I would say like a servant leader, like right. to recognize I'm kind of the, I'm kind of like the glue. <laughs> um, I recognize what my limitations are and I try to understand what are the strengths of the people around me and maybe also understand their limitations too and creating a space for them to, um, a place of safety, I would say, for them to be able to listen or maybe objectively hear the perspective, not just you on your team, but also the others on your team. 
Right. And a lot of times, you know, we had team meetings and we talked about investment blocks and I would bring in experts. I mean, that became kind of my thing to the point where other people on different teams are like, can I join your meetings? Because it wasn't a Sabrina show. It was, let's bring in this expert and talk about this. Let's, you know, and, and the team would contribute and say, I don't understand this at all. You know, what's sassy? What's the edge? What's cloud computing? What are all these buzzwords? And we would bring in different experts to talk about it. So again, I think coming in with some of that humility, I think to your point, understanding when your skills transfer, I think that's something that, especially early in career, people coming back into their careers, maybe they left for sabbatical or for parenthood or something like that, coming back and not really realizing how much of those skills transfer. You know, as a litigator in any kind of legal work that you do, whether it's writing or oral or whatever, um, your job is to take insanely complex things and truncate them to the most understandable, simplified and convincing message possible. That's mm -hmm. what we do in tech because tech is super complex and you have to take this massive thing and, and make it make sense to the person you're talking to and make it relate to what they're interested in or what they're trying to accomplish. So again, it was the same job. I just didn't realize it. You're just plugging in different inputs, but you're still you just put on a different a different hat. But you took the skills that you were good with you and accentuated those as you went along. Exactly. Now let's talk a little bit about. Um, we know uh, presently in the world, there's so much going on. Obviously, the tech sector um, has been uh, gravely impacted. I think there's a lot of. Um, layoffs that have happened or are going to continue to happen. But obviously, there's amazing things also happening in the tech sector. What are you seeing out there in reference to um, kind of the pulse of the tech sector in reference um, so, to all these changes that are occurring? You know, it's um, it's unlike anything I've seen. And, and the pandemic certainly helped accelerate so much of this. You know, we went through this hiring craze where, you know, CRO of giant company would call me and say, you'll never believe how much they just poached this guy from me about, you know, you'll never believe how much this bonus is of these people they poached. So we went this went through this insane hiring craze to now these mass layoffs. And again, some we support some of the largest organizations in the world, you know, um, and so we get an inside perspective that maybe you don't always get to see and um or in, at least until it's much later um so there's still plenty more to come and um you know between supply chain issues manufacturing issues obviously different wars and and um geopolitical conflict is maybe a safe way to say it um you know there's a lot of unrest and uncertainty and i think um, in fact i was just reading some you know some research on this literally just yesterday um you know what people are looking for now are resilient teams helping retain the talent that they do have because you have to do the same if not more work with less so now you not only do you have a demotivated team which one of my sort of mini expertise is around motivation so you've got a demotivated team who have to do more with less they're all remote they don't feel connected or maybe they feel semi-connected um, and it's a lot and they're worried about their jobs. So now they've got all kinds of hormones triggered and, you know, we were, it, it's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a mind mess. And so, um, from a team's perspective, from a leadership perspective, 
even as folks who are who are teammates who are influencing the culture of their teams people want to feel like they're being invested in enablement has never been more important you know here's the other interesting thing is the tech industry is is rapidly moving to solution sales. We're not talking about, hey, look at this really cool new widget that spins even faster than this widget that we sold you last year. Or, hey, it's it's tech refresh time and you've had that stuff for three years, let's get you a new box. Now you're talking boxes and wires and software and it's it's incredibly complex. And now not only are you selling to IT people, you're selling to OT to the business side of things. So you have brand new relationships you need to make who have totally different interests and you're worried about your job. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. a total cluster, but in, in these kinds of times comes an enormous amount of opportunity if you can leverage it, if you can get on, you know, if you can get a hold of it. And so part of it is, you know, if we can enable our teams and show them, look, we're invested in you, you're important to us. It also equips them with the right skills so that they can be successful. Sometimes I say to my team, like if I've got a salesperson who maybe hasn't had a sale in a minute, I'll say, you just need a win. As humans, sometimes we just need a win. And so I've noticed that the more you can invest in your people and enablement is probably one of the strongest ways you can do that right now, because it can be remote, it can be funny, you can have prizes, you can do gamification, you can be silly and still learn. It kind of ties in all those different pieces while still kind of telling them without telling them, I'm invested in you, you're worth investing, so your job is a little bit safer. Those are the kinds of things that I'm seeing really work when it comes to retaining talent and nurturing a culture for growth and more success. This was such a great interview that we decided to turn it into a two-part series. Be sure to tune in next week for part two so you don't miss out on the amazing content. Thank you for tuning in again. Before I sign off, I want you to consider what is it disrupting your bottom line? Just a reminder that my book, Return on Relationships, will be available on June 10th on Amazon, and it's available today on my website at roxanderhodge.com forward slash book. For more tools, insights, and anecdotes about your leadership story, consider pre-ordering. You'll find the link in the show notes. Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxanderhajcom slash blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.